0: Good morning. I would like nothing more than to say nothing about my personal health situation, <laughs> but if I don't, it will become the elephant in the room. And then the precious seed of the word of God is going to fall on some preoccupied ground and not penetrate to bear fruit. So let me just give you a brief update. Uh, I have a kidney stone and uh, the doctors were unable to remove it due to the fact that they thought infection was present at the site, but they were able to uh, move it to eliminate the pain. So I'm feeling quite well right now. I'm not in a lot of pain. Um, Five days after the surgery, it was determined that there was no infection at all. So that was good. But they have, between the two aspects of the surgery, uh, they wanted to give some time, and that they did, because the surgery, the last half of it, will be July 20th. And so, not feeling pain, but on medications that are doing crazy things. uh, That's my challenge right now. Extremely dry mouth and often very tired. But I'm feeling good and I praise God for that. So that means that most of this month I'm going to be dealing with and recovering from uh, this wonderful stone. Uh, I praise God for the great... uh, care I received and the concern, I praise God for your prayers, many prayers, and I covet the continuance of those prayers. And since you have been praying for me, let me pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in the course of time, your providence and will is revealed. And through the challenging times of life, You never leave us nor forsake us, so we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do to me. I pray, Lord, that you will lift up your word today by your spirit to hungry hearts and to those hearts that may be somewhat calloused and hardened. Break up the fallow ground, break up the stony heart and make it rich soil for your truth. And I pray that all of us would be drawn closer to the Savior as we reflect upon his glory and beauty. In Jesus' name we pray and all the people of God said amen. Amen. Over the years I have thoroughly enjoyed the work of the Pulitzer Prize writer David McCullough his work on John Adams the biography is just outstanding riveting and his follow up masterpiece the book entitled 1776 fascinating beyond description and i would encourage you to maybe look at some of those books or spend some time thinking about what happened way back in July of 1776 that gives us cause to celebrate and so we should But there was something when you read about the happy history of our independence, a rather sad note, and it still lingers with effects today. And that is that the people who fought so hard to secure their personal liberties from the tyranny of the British Empire did not eliminate slavery in this new country that they had given birth to. So 84 years later, there was a civil war that fought out the issue. Over 620,000 deaths is what it took to change the American mind on the issue of slavery. It was in January of 1863 when President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, but it took almost two years, December of 65, for those ideals to be made law in what we call the 13th Amendment which abolished slavery. However, the freedom described in that amendment did not immediately become the experience of those who were slaves. And then another very interesting author, this time dealing with the Civil War, Shelby Foote, said this, he was talking with an Alabama slave in 1864, he, he was not talking with him, He's talking about a slave. And the uh, slave from Alabama said, Abe Lincoln, the great emancipator, I don't know nothing about Abe Lincoln, except that they say he set the f- slaves free, and I don't know anything about that either. As I think of those words, free but not, Free, but not. I think of Paul's argument in the book of Galatians. And I would encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And our text will be primarily the very first verse of Galatians 5. Now Paul is writing to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, uh, kind of north uh, of Asia Minor, Turkey today, and they were having problems with the Judaizers, who are people who claimed that Christ was okay, but you needed to maintain and continue to obey the law of Moses. So Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, first of all, I want you to note that that wonderful verse has a very obvious implication, and that is prior captivity. For Christ to set us free, we had to be bound by something. And the hint is given to us in the latter part of the verse when it says burdened by the yoke of slavery. There there was something in the Jewish religion that was akin to being a slave. So that you carried a heavy yoke in trying to accomplish all that God had commanded you to do in the law of Moses. And you were born in captivity. So this idea of previous captivity is not a very welcomed one when you think about it. Most people do not like to be told that they are in bondage, that they are captive, that someone rules over them. We read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 15, that Christ would deliver people who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear of death creates the climate of bondage, and these people were experiencing, all of us have experienced it as we come into this world. This is interesting, too. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, not attacked. Do you ever notice the way we debate in our talk shows today? And some Christians take upon themselves that same attitude. I'm going to demolish you verbally in a debate. The scripture says opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape. Escape the trap of the devil, the devil who has taken them captive by his will. So the captivity implied is a spiritual one, not a physical one, having to do with the devil's power over us, controlling us, and the fear of death that will launch us into the presence of God. What a fearful thing it is to stand before the living God. It's easy to recognize physical bondage, isn't it? The the Hebrews knew they were slaves in Egypt. But once they got out of Egypt, it was hard for them to recognize their bondage. Jesus struck up a conversation with some Jews. This is John chapter eight. And he said to them, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that really ticked them off. What do you mean, set free? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. (laughs) What about Egypt? What about through the Judges, book of Judges, when time and time again, the people of God were taken into captivity by all the nations around them? But you see Jesus was talking about spiritual bondage and it's easy to see the physical bondage but they, they don't see the chains that bring people into a spiritual situation of bondage. How can you say we'll be set free? And Jesus said whoever could commit sin is a servant to sin. So if the son sets you free you will be really free. I would like to ask you a question and I want you to answer it by the raising of the hand in your heart. In other words, don't raise, I guess you can if you want to. Are you free? Today, this are you free this very moment, spiritually speaking? You might say politically we're not in bondage to anyone, although we see all over our world today countries becoming aggressive and taking over other free countries and so bringing them into control and bondage. And who knows, but America may face that someday. We celebrate freedom this weekend, but are we really free? So answer in your heart, I am free or no, I'm not. Now, some of you will say, okay, spiritually, I'm free because I've trusted Christ and my sins are gone. Good, let me ask you this question. Do you live like you're free? Do you live in the glorious freedom that Christ died to give to you? That is the issue. The psalmist said, out of my distress, I called on the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free. So there's a bondage component here to this verse that you have to start out with. It's the bad news of the gospel. In other words, there's no reason for the good news until we comprehend the bad. What scares me, though, is that so many people who call themselves believers are not living in the glorious freedom that Christ died to purchase for you. So we've got this idea of implied bondage. Now secondly, notice this idea of liberation. There's an event and a motive behind it. Liberation, Christ, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. That's how my translation reads in 5.1. It is for freedom. Jesus, think of him as a liberator. Think of him as the great emancipator. Think of him as the better than Moses who leads his people out of the nation of bondage and into the glorious freedom of their land. The event, of course, is the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he canceled all the debt of sin against us and he set the prisoner free. Charles Wesley put it in song, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free His blood can make the foulest clean and His blood avails for me. So when Jesus died on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sin and by doing so, set us free. But that's like the 13th Amendment, being acknowledged as now slavery is abolished, but do people really experience that freedom on a regular day-to-day basis? My fear is our attitude toward the cross is a very weak one. Oh, we talk about it on Good Friday and it, it's there. It's the reason for Easter, Resurrection Day. But do we live under the cross? To tell people they're in bondage makes them mad. To tell them that they need a cross to save them. It's almost intolerable. D.A. Carson said, I fear that the cross without ever being disowned among Christians is constantly in danger of being dismissed. From the central place to a place on the periphery. And whenever the periphery displaces the center, we are not far moved from idolatry. The point that Jesus died for our sins on the cross is to negate a religion of works. There are basically two religions in chapter five, verse one. One is trusting Christ, and one is working for our own salvation. And that's what brings the yoke of slavery upon us. But Jesus came to die for us that he would set the prisoner free. Listen to uh, Luke 4. This is a quotation from Isaiah 61 that Jesus read in his own hometown synagogue in Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim, proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. That's why Jesus came. He wants, he not only purchased your freedom so you'll go to heaven forever, he wants you to live free and not be tangled up in a religion of works and rules that you can never, ever perfectly keep. Modern day Christianity has neglected the cross and has begun, well, has added to the cross A religion of performance, thus robbing us of freedom and joy. Every day you're filled with anxiety to get everything done that you want to do, everything done that you have to do. And without doing that, you'll not have favor with God. And your whole basis of connecting with the Father is your performance. Let me simply tell you this. Your performance at best is very weak and will bring you a guilty conscience all the time. You've gotta have something better than that to make you accepted in the beloved. And let me give you the answer, you know it, it's Christ. It's simply looking to Christ. Now this is what was happening in Galatians. Paul goes on, verse two of chapter five. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. If you go back to chapter two, that's exactly what they were introducing. Yes, you can be a Christian, but you still have to follow the law of Moses and one of the obvious signs and symbols, more than a religious light, right, more than a... Uh, a physical operation, it's a spiritual commitment to the law, you've got to be circumcised. Paul says if you do that, Christ is no value to you. In other words, you can't have both, salvation by works or salvation by grace. Paul says in verse three, I declare to everyone uh, who is circumcised that they are obligated to keep the whole law. If you're trying to be justified by the law, you've alienated yourself from the Savior and you've fallen from grace, which simply means you're outside the sphere of grace. And I just don't think we get it. I think too often we're playing a game and trying to appease God by our goodness. Now it's not that obedience is not important. And we'll see that later on when he says, don't abuse your freedom. But the primary point here is that our freedom is not so much from the penalty of the law, although that's part of it, but it's freedom from a guilty conscience. Now let me ask you again, hands raised only in your heart, is your conscience guilty today? Do you feel guilty? Then you need to go to the Savior and confess your sin. John Stott said the primary freedom described here is the freedom of conscience from the tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep it with a view of winning God's favor. That is the struggle. But when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what we took up in Hebrews chapter nine, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge or cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Our conscience is set free. So verse five says, through the spirit, we eagerly wait by faith for the righteousness in which we hope. It's not something we work for, it's something we wait for, and we wait eagerly as we rest in Jesus Christ. There should be a growing sense of victory over sin, but we'll never be perfect. But there should be a constant spirit of freedom from the guilt of sin, because Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. So we can sing with Philip Bliss, free from the law, oh happy condition, Jesus has bled and there is remission. What is it? Cursed by the law, bruised by the fall, Christ has redeemed us once for all. While we were away, one of the things that Nancy and I did was to listen to a book on the spiritual secret of Hudson Taylor. It's an excellent book. I have in my library the two volumes of the biography of Taylor, but from that, his son put together a book called The Spiritual Secret. And we're always looking for a secret, aren't we? We're hoping that in the secret, we'll find an easy way to become holy. Hudson Taylor did amazing things as a missionary to China, an Englishman who went there, one of the first missionaries there, pioneered in areas where there were no other uh, people from his country. And he did, in his work, amazing things. However, Hudson Taylor did not have peace and joy in his soul. Often he found himself struggling just to get by, sometimes doubting God, even though Hudson Taylor probably had the greatest faith of any person I've ever read in any biography. But his struggle was that he wanted to somehow learn the secret of living joyfully in Jesus and a holy life. He said, I have to continually mourn that I follow at such a distance and learn so slowly to imitate my precious master. But then, by faith, I saw that I was in Christ and Christ was in me, that there was no separation and he would never leave us nor forsake us. The poem by Bonar states it well. Yes, in me, in me he dwelleth, I in him and he in me, and my empty soul he filleth now and through eternity. It was a simple thing for Hudson Taylor to realize that he was a branch in the vine and would never be severed and all the goodness and righteousness must flow from him. That it was a matter of trusting what God said he had accomplished and embracing his declaration of freedom, of freedom from sin. He put it this way, as I read, I saw it all. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and what joy flowed in my heart. I will never leave thee, he said, and there's the rest. I have striven in vain to connect with him and to appease him, but now I rest and by faith believe his promise. He will never leave me, nor forsake me. I remember the first time I read that, I thought, that's no secret. That's nothing big. I know that. I have literally read The Exchange Life, chapter 14, a dozen times, until it finally dawned on me. You say you know that, but do you live in it? And that was the difficulty. There is so much of me in my life that I don't see all of him. And the long, strong desire to please him in life becomes now the approach of earning his favor. And I seem to lose that battle every day. And what does he say? By faith. He is in us, we are in him, he's accepted us, he's washed us from our sins. It is for us to embrace the freedom. It is for freedom that Christ died to set you free. He is the one who endured the cross. Galatians chapter three, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And do you believe that happened? And do you believe by faith you've been joined to Christ never to be separated again? If that is so, then our days should be spent in spiritual rest and victory. The battle will be fierce sometimes and we won't win. There are still ups and downs. But the secret of victory is simply embracing the Savior. I wish I was more eloquent. I wish somehow the Spirit of God would take this power home to your heart and mine so that we would learn to walk in Jesus and rest in Jesus and have total peace because our sins are gone. I don't have to strive today to please him. I want to obey him, but I don't have to strive to gain his favor. I have it already. And that takes the yoke of slavery off my back. But he doesn't stop there. He ends with an admonition. The implication, we were in bondage. And then the glorious truth, liberation, Christ has set us free so that we can be free, so that we can live free and not guilty. And the admonition then at the last part of chapter five, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So think of it, it's basically a positive and a negative command. Same command looking at it from two sides. Positively, stand firm. Rest. Don't give up this position. Stand in the grace that God has given to you. And then, from a negative perspective, don't allow yourself, it's a verb in the passive voice, don't allow yourself to be entangled. Don't let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. So we have a bunch of people in Bible-believing churches who have been set free. But the truth hasn't reached them yet. And they're still living like they're slaves. It's important for us to realize that God's greatest desire is for our fellowship, First Corinthians chapter one verse nine, he called you into the fellowship of his son. He made you in his image to have fellowship with him. That was broken by sin but now recovered by the cross. And you and I have the distinct privilege every day to live happy in Jesus because our sins are gone. Don't take that for granted because if you do, you could lose it. I remember watching a newscast back in June 1994, the 50th anniversary of D-Day. And they were interviewing some of the veterans. You won't find too many veterans alive today from World War II, but there was a bunch of them then. And it seemed like the common theme was this. The veteran said, People have taken freedom for granted. Freedom at such a price should never be forgotten. Freedom once enjoyed should never be lost. And that's true in the realm of our own nation, equally true in the realm of the spirit. As Pastor Keith read from Galatians chapter 2, there were some who came in to spy out the freedom that the Christians enjoyed, and it was their hope that they could pull them back into the yoke of bondage, that they could pull them back and following the rules like slaves. And I love what Paul said, this is verse 5 of chapter 2, Galatians, we did, did not give in to them for a single moment. Don't give in to the work of the devil that seeks to keep you bound. But live in the freedom of the cross and the freedom of Christ, and then our lives will truly, truly be different. And so, as we come to this Memorial Day weekend, not not Memorial Day, July 4th weekend, let me encourage you to celebrate. But remember that freedom, purchased at such a price, can be lost. And we don't want that to happen in our spiritual life, which is even a greater challenge. We sing, America, God shed his grace on thee. It's a prayer. And I've changed the words a little bit to that last line God shed his grace on thee may we be blessed with righteousness from sea to shining sea it's not here but may we be blessed with righteousness and the blessing starts in the hearts of believers who know they're at peace with God and they've got a great message to share let's pray Lord, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, our heart exposed, you know who is free and who isn't. You know the ones who have turned from their sin to trust you and by doing so have been forgiven of all unrighteousness. They've been given the hope of eternal life But Lord, you know that many of those individuals who have trusted you do not experience freedom from day to day. Life is a drudgery. It seems to be religion is work without blessing and that you're distant and unconcerned. But you promised you'd never leave us nor forsake us and the day we embrace that and live accordingly is the day we begin to live like free men men and women. Lord, enter into our congregation this morning and bless us as we turn our eyes upon Christ, the great liberator and emancipator of our soul. In his name we pray, amen.